June and I are going to be greeting today in the back corner back here. And so if you're a guest today, uh, we would love to meet you. If you can come out and if you don't mind and say, hey, we're, we're visiting today, we would love to say hi to you and get to know you. Uh, Levi had graduated high school in, in the spring and he was trying to figure out what to do with his life. Dad Ben had told him he could work for the family business. They owned a home improvement business in a small town in the south. His mom and dad were good Christian people. And, and he said, you know, son, you, you know there's a job always with you uh, with the family business. But Levi didn't know if he wanted to follow in his brother's footsteps. BJ, Ben Jr., had graduated a couple of years earlier, and he started working for his dad, and everything was going well. But there's a big difference between BJ and his younger brother, Levi. And, and so Levi just wasn't sure about it. One of the things, though, that Ben and, and his wife had done is they had really taken care of their two sons in that when they were both born, they began trust funds for them. I, I don't know if you've done that for children or maybe grandchildren, June and I, when both of our, all three of our grandchildren were born, we began to put money for college funds, you know. And so every year we put back money for the college funds, and we've got three grandkids now, and so the funds have been decreasing that we put in there every year. But anyway, there you go. You know, I, I told my boys, I said, you know what? Y'all keep having children. They're not going to get anything, so slow it down. But anyway, sometimes we do that, and Ben and his wife had done that, and build up really nice trust funds. And he told both of his boys, this money is yours when you turn 18. You can do anything you want to with it. I mean, if you want to go to a, you know, a college somewhere and get a good education, you can go to the best. I mean, there's enough money in there for it. If you want to start a family and build a house, hey, there's enough to pay for a house. I mean, whatever you want to do, the money is there. And so whenever you want it, you just say so and, and I'll sign it over. And Levi had remembered that and looked forward to that. And so as the summer came into the fall, Levi decided it was time for him to maybe leave small-town America and go out and visit, you know, the big life. And so he went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I'd like to have access to the trust fund. And his dad said, Sure. And so he signed it over to his son, and his son immediately went out and bought him a nice truck. Any of your kids ever done that? I mean, I, I remember my, my youngest son. He had gotten out of college, uh, graduated from Lipscomb, and when he got out, first thing he did is he went and he bought him a truck. And I said, did you think about maybe paying off some of that college debt first? He said, oh, no, I've got plenty of time to do that. And I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, our kids do that, right? And, and so Levi did that, bought him a really nice new truck from the trust fund. And, and his dad wasn't surprised by that. But what surprised his dad was when about a week later, he saw his son packing. And he said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, Dad, and spend some time just seeing America. I mean, I've, I've never traveled a lot. We've never traveled a lot. You know, the business kept us here local. I want to see the world for a change. And, and of course, his dad's like, all right, but please, you know, keep us informed of what's going on. And the next thing you know, Levi was gone, packed up in his truck, off to see the big city life. He headed to New York. I don't know if, how many of you have been to New York, but I remember several years ago, I got to go to New York, and th i tell you how long ago it was. It was when the World Trade Centers were still there. So it's been a long time. But got to go up to the Statue of Liberty, and boy, how neat that was to go to Battery Park and, you know, go across to the Statue of Liberty and see New York. I mean, Levi wanted to see New York and especially experience the nightlife, and he did. And, 
And after two or three weeks, a friend told him that he had met. He said, listen, if you really want to experience life, you need to go out west. You need to go to Vegas. Now, I've never been to Vegas. Uh, June and I, our oldest son, goes to Vegas quite often for conventions out there. And, and, uh, but I, I've heard, wow, Vegas never closes. I mean, it's the place, if you want to experience, especially nightlife, that's the place to go. And boy, that's what Levi wanted to do. And so he headed to Vegas. Only problem is, Levi had grown up in small-town America. He wasn't prepared for what he was going to see or what he was going to experience. And, and again, I've never been out there, but people tell me that there are slot machines in the airport. Is that true? I, I've heard that you go to the airport in Las Vegas and you can still gamble in the airport. I'm shocked they don't have it on the airplanes. You know, just, hey, you, you, you're coming to Vegas. Get started early. And so Ben, when he got there, I mean, he had never gambled. But, but that was quite exciting. And, and the next thing you know, boy, he was getting into it. Getting into it a little bit too much. It wasn't long before an addiction began to set in. Very quickly. Taking control of his life. That's what addictions do. I don't know if you've ever suffered from addictions, but addictions can come from all directions. Drug addictions, whether it's prescription drugs or illicit drugs. Addictions to alcohol, to sexuality. I mean, when you think about all the addictions that are out there, gambling. I don't know how many of y'all know, but I think it's Powerball that's now over $1 billion as of today. Set back down, don't go right now. No, I'm joking. I've never bought a lottery ticket. June's never bought a lottery ticket. We don't plan to. And yet today, there will be millions of Americans who are convinced it's their one chance. And that's what Levi thought. I mean, it wasn't the lottery. It was, it was one of those slot machines. It was, you know, it was the poker table. It just takes one time to cash in. And you know what? You're set for life. And the next thing Levi knew is that trust fund that Dad had built up so high was beginning to sink real fast. But he couldn't stop. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard of people with gambling habits. And, and I, I don't care how many times you try to stop. There's always someone back luring you again. That's one of the things about, you know, the new online betting. I mean, the moment you stop your online betting, they're sending you, hey, $200 of free bets. What are they trying to do? They're trying to suck you back in because that's how addiction works. And it worked on Levi's life. Before long, his trust account was near zero. And all at once, he couldn't stay in the fancy hotels anymore. He had to find him a cheap hotel to stay in. And next thing you know, he's selling his brand-new truck. I mean, it was worth a lot. But guess what? If he could just strike it one more time, he could buy his truck back, and he'd be good again until all of that money was gone, too. And within a few months, Levi had found himself in a casino, all right, except he's not playing the slot machines. He's washing the dishes back in the cafeteria. And he's sitting there asking himself, what happened? What have I done? I mean, what am I doing? Here he is, I mean, you know, a young man with all kinds of opportunities, and he's blown it all. Why? Just because he wanted to go out and see the world. And as he was sitting there late one night, and everybody had already gone home, and he's still washing dishes, he thought, you know what? I mean, I've got people in my dad's business back home who are making ten times what I'm making out here but he was too embarrassed to go back home. But he finally decided, I've got to. And so he 
scrounged up enough money for a bus ticket, and he headed back home. His dad, who had not heard from him often, you know, very often since he had left, knew something was up when he called from the bus station. Could you come pick me up? I mean, what, what do you mean, pick you up? And of course, he quickly told his dad what had happened, but his dad was so glad to see him. He welcomed him back home. Now, if that story sounds familiar, it's meant to. Here's the way Jesus ended his version of it. Older brother had come in, and older brother was still mad at his younger brother for leaving the business and, you know, going out and living life up. And so when the younger brother came back home, the older brother didn't want to go to celebrate. But the dad said to the older brother, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours. And then I want you to look at the words that are used here because they're powerful words from a dad. This brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I don't know about you, but boy, those are strong words. He was dead. I mean, he had lost himself. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know what he was doing. He was dead. And now he's come back home. We start today uh, a month-long series on the subject, Stages of Spiritual Growth. And as I was looking at this subject, because we've been looking at discipleship all, all year long, and, and if we're really going to become disciple makers, we need to understand what the stages are we go through to get to being disciple makers. And, and so spiritual growth is important. The only problem with that is that when you look at the first stage of spiritual growth, it's kind of a depressing stage. That first stage in the Bible is called dead. And when I looked at that, I thought, I, I'd love to call Blake and say, all right, I need songs about being dead. And, and Blake, that wouldn't be a very encouraging service. You know, I think Blake said we could sing up from the dead, you know, and just stop right there. You know, I mean, what do you do with a depressing subject like this? And yet it's, it's a legitimate subject. Ephesians 2, 1, Paul will talk about the very same process of, of beginning this process of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, let me tell you how it begins. It begins the same way you Ephesians began it. As for you, you were dead. One of my favorite translations, and John used it recently in a devotional that he did, is the voice translation. Very strange translation. It's, it's different in many, many ways, but boy, it brings it to life sometimes. And, and I love what it did to Ephesians chapter 2. And so watch, basically, this is the NIV. Look at the way the voice translates it. As for you, don't you remember how you used to just exist? I mean, that's what Levi was doing there in Las Vegas when he had blown everything he had. He was just existing. He was just trying to figure out where am I going to stay? What am I going to eat? Life had really come down to just surviving. As for you, don't you remember you used to just exist? Corpses, dead in life. I love that description of it. Dead in life. June and I knew a lady who, she was married to her husband for over 70 years. But, but the last few years of her life, she would oftentimes, when you'd ask her, how's your husband doing? She'd say, well, I'm the only widow with a living husband. I want you all to think about that one. I mean, I, I laughed so hard. The only widow with a living husband. June's not started saying that yet, but I wonder sometimes if she's thinking, wow, yeah. And that's basically the description here. I mean, we're alive when we, we're 
you know, in this world, but not necessarily alive to God. Or as it says here, dead in life. Revelation chapter 3, the church at Sardis, it's just not individuals that oftentimes are dead, but here's Jesus saying to a church, a church that's supposed to belong to him, can I tell you that you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead? And so sometimes we just need to step back and go, what in the world does it mean to be dead to God? And, 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 and I mean, what does that look like? Well, Paul helps us with that there in the Ephesians 2 text. He begins with, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Or as the voice says, corpses, dead in lie and buried by transgressions. In other words, whether you're raised in the church or raised not being a Christian, there comes a point in our lives when we realize something's not right. This relationship that I have with God is not the kind of relationship that I want. And Paul says, yeah. And let me tell you what it's like. It's like the same relationship that Adam and Eve had when they left the garden. I mean, they were, for at least some practical purposes, dead to God. No longer in relationship with him. At least not that relationship they had in the garden. Same way with Levi when he left home. It's like, Dad, bye, I'm gone. Or the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, I'm gone. And that relationship is severed. And Paul says, it's, it's dead under all of these transgressions. And it's when you followed the ways of this world, that was the problem. Wandering the course of this perverse world. Oftentimes, we want to go out and see the world. We just don't realize what is out there in the world. Do we really want to see that? Now, I get traveling and seeing places. June and I love to, to travel. I mean, we love to go in and see new places, and, and we love to go and visit parks and things like that. That's different from going out and following the ways of the world. I mean, the ways that lead to, to paths that we want to go down, and, and we don't want to go down. And notice the way he describes it again, following the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What happens when you turn away from God, you turn away from the path perhaps you were raised in, and you go down and you're like, I'm just going to go out and experience what the world has to offer. And the voice says, you become the offspring of the prince of the power of the air. Oh, how he owned you. Just as he still controls those living in disobedience. I want you to look at those two words there. Owned. Have you ever been owned by someone? I suspect you felt it before. I, I remember when I was in high school, I, I, I worked at a grocery store. And, and the owner of the grocery store wasn't the kindest person in the world. He was real demanding. I used to tell people, he called all of us teenagers that worked for him sons. Son, come here. Son, come here. Son, come here. Only di difference is he had a biological son, and he treated him very different than he treated us. You see, it was, it was more of a control owned type mentality I mean he, he didn't bother, he didn't mind at all coming up and saying who do you work for and who owns this company you do sir well Satan's much the same way Paul says the prince of the power of the air he owns those who obey him I mean he's the one who controls them and because of that you end up gratifying the cravings of our flesh Paul says Again, we were all guilty of falling headlong for the persuasive passions of this world. We all have had our fill of indulging the flesh and mind. 
I mean, Satan makes it so pretty, doesn't he? I mean, he flashes it on the television, throws it over the airways, it's all over the internet. I mean, he knows how to get our attention. I want you all to think for a moment. Have, have you ever gone online and searched for a dishwasher? I mean, you just punch in, good dishwashers. And the next thing you know on your Facebook account, all these dishwashers on the side. You're like, how'd they get there? And you go and start Googling things, and all at once, dishwashers, YouTube, dishwashers. You're like, what are they doing? What they're doing is they're simply watching everything that we do. Why? Because they know how to lure us their direction. Now, that's the Internet. That's AI. Imagine Satan, who's beside, behind all the rebellion in the world. You don't think he knows how to scheme in order to pull us into his control? And he does it how? Through the passions of this world, indulging the flesh and the mind. I'll use a real simple illustration. How many times recently have you looked at something really, really good to eat? And then you said to yourself, I better not. Have you experienced that recently? I experienced it every day. I'm serious. You better not. I mean, June laughs at my mom because my mom, years ago, we'd be sitting there and mom would say, I know better than eating this because if I eat this, I am going to suffer later. And then guess what mom would do? She'd eat it. And then later on she'd say, I knew I shouldn't have eaten that. And guess who else does that? I mean, I'm like, I don't need, yeah, you're going to eat it anyway, aren't you, yeah? I mean, that's the way we are in a lot, a lot of areas of life. I mean, I, I have to think Levi, when he left home, knew, you know what, I've been brought up better than this. I've been taught better than this. But it looks so pretty. The lights are so bright. I mean, what harm can be done? And that's what we think. But in gratifying the cravings of our flesh, we follow its desires and its thoughts, and it leads us to a path we don't want to go to. Obeying impulses to follow perverse thoughts motivated by dark powers. I mean, you read that, and the voice makes you realize, whoa, wait a minute. Dark powers? Yeah. I mean, motivated by dark powers, that's where sin leads us. Two words in the, in the New Testament that basically describes how you get into this state of spiritual death. The first word that's used is the word unbelief. And what's amazing about this is that Paul talks about how that at one time people literally chose unbelief over belief in God. I mean, look at Romans chapter 1. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. In other words, here was a culture that said, you know what, we really don't care. We, we, we're not going to investigate it. We're not going to examine it. We don't care whether God exists or not. And what happens? They move into a state of unbelief. And the result of that unbelief, and, and let me go back because Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. David said, if you just step back and think about it for a moment. I mean, can you really look up at the stars in the sky or look at the beauty of nature and not step back and say there's a God? And Paul would say the exact same thing over in Romans. I mean, the very existence of the world proves that he exists. And yet we sometimes make a decision to not believe. 
And then the other word is rebellion. That's what, what Adam and Eve did. They made a decision not to believe what God had said. And the day you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. They made a decision not to believe that. And that led them to rebel against God. And if you'll think about it for a moment, that is true of every single one of us when we commit sin. I mean, most of the sins we commit, I'm not talking about sins that, I mean, you're driving down a road and you look up and you're like, whoa, it's 45 miles an hour and I'm doing 50. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sins where you know it's a sin. You know you shouldn't be doing it. You, should, you know you shouldn't be going there. You know you shouldn't be talking to them. You know you shouldn't be, and you just fill in the blanks. And yet you choose not to believe that pathway is going to lead in a place I don't want to go. And as a result, we go into rebellion. He goes on, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So what did God do? He gave them over. He said, you want to live without me? I'll let you live without me. And let's see what happens. And the answer is, they do what ought not to be done. When I look at modern day America, I see a culture in rebellion culture that doesn't mind at all just let's get together and go over to the mall and we'll just smash and grab and destroy I mean we'll just go through and grab everything and we, we're, we're not going to pay for it we're not going to respect the people who own these stores I mean we're just going to go and this is what we're going to do you know the federal government will never know I don't have to report that income I mean the RAS is never going to investigate me I mean wh whatever you want to say what do we end up doing we end up doing things we ought not do and the end result is spiritual death. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, and there is no one who does good when you separate yourself from God. Paul would tell us that the God of this age, he's good at blinding the minds of unbelievers. And by the way, he's pretty good at my, uh, blinding the, eye, uh, the minds of believers as well. I mean, he just convinces us that it's, it's not the way you've always been taught. That's just not the way it works. I mean, you, you need to look at it from a different perspective. And it's a perspective that causes us not to see the light of who Jesus is and who God is. And so how can we know when someone is spiritually dead? How can we know when we're spiritually dead? And the answer is real simple. Just listen. Just listen. I mean, one of the things that Jesus said about us is that our speech always betrays us. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks where the, what the heart is full of. In other words, it doesn't take long to see where a person's heart is. I mean, listen to what they talk about, listen to what they focus on, listen to what is most important to them, and you can tell whether or not there's someone who believes in God or does not believe in God or, or is following God or is not following God. And once again, that's true of people in the church as much as it's true of people outside the church. And so what do the dead, the spiritual dead, need? And here's where we've got to get serious, brothers and sisters. It's easy for us to come in here and 
shake hands and to hug on one another and to love each other. Our call is to go out there and do that. It's easy to do it with family and friends. Our call is to do it with people out there who's not family and friends. What is it that spiritually dead need? First of all, they need a friend. And let me tell you, that's one of the hardest things in the world. How do you become a friend with someone who is as unfriendly, who is in rebellion against God? How in the world do you do that? One of the biggest challenges I have is going out to River Bend. You see, River Bend is where death row is here in Tennessee. And when you go out to River Bend, there are two parts of the prison. There's the low side and the high side. The high side is death row. Low side is where you get people who are, you know, they're maybe serving life sentences or 30, 40, 50 year sentences, but they're not, they're not on death row. And I remember being out at River Bend one time and, and I was sitting there counseling with a guy and, and all at once one of the guards came in and he says, do we have a chaplain here? We, we, we need someone to go up to the high side. And, and, and the guy I was mentoring looked at me and said, don't do it, don't do it, don't raise your hands. And I didn't. And, and after the guard left, I said, why? And he said, you don't want to experience that. And yet I've walked in the prison with mentors before and I said, what do you do here at the prison? They say, I work with people up on the high side. And I think, how do you do that? He said, I've been doing it for years. Some of the hardest soil you'll ever try to get a shovel into. I mean, what takes place up there, I mean, I've never experienced it. But guess what? They need a friend. And so I don't care if it's death row at River Bend or if it's a next door neighbor where you are. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they need a friend. Jesus came and was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He went out and made friendships with those who everybody else would avoid, but not Jesus. Number two, what do they need? They need an example. They need someone who doesn't look down their nose, who's not condescending. They need someone who just is there to say, you know what, there's a better way. And I don't always get it right, but you know, I have to admit that what I've done because of God living in my life and Jesus being a part of my life works. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't know how many of you saw the Kentucky football game yesterday. Kentucky beat Florida three times in a row. Hadn't been done since uh, there was a coach in Kentucky by the name of Bear Bryant. 1948, 49, 50. That tells you, Blake, how long ago it was. But, but one of the amazing things about the Kentucky game is they had a running back who ran yesterday for 280 yards rushing. I want you all to think about that in a game. 280 yards. Second highest ever been done in Kentucky. And afterwards, June and I was watching, and they were interviewing the young man. They said, how did you do it? And he said, I didn't do it. He said, the blue wall did it for me. God did it for me. The coach did it for him. That's who did it. And the announcer kept saying, yeah, but you were the one carrying the ball. And he said, yes, but it wasn't about me. And boy, June and I looked at each other and we said, that young man's got his head on right. I mean, how do we do it? We do it because of the power of God working through us. The glory doesn't go to us. 
the glory goes to God. And what do they need? They need to hear the story. I appreciate Blake leading us off this morning with, I love to tell the story. At some point in time, people have the right to hear the story of Jesus. And we need to become friends that can share that story with them. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The power is in the story. It is in Jesus. Lift him up, and he will do what he said he will do. And then they need someone to walk with them. This is probably the hardest part because it takes so much time. How do you invest in someone and you just invest over and over and over again? When I go out to River Bend on Tuesdays, I sit down with a man who's never getting out. He's in for double homicide and he'll never walk out those bars. He's working on a degree in Bible through Nations University, a university, online university that Brother Mac Lynn started many years ago to try to penetrate the Muslim culture, but it's also penetrated the prison culture. And, and sometimes people ask me, why do you spend one-on-one time with one guy who's never going to get out of prison? And the answer is real simple. They're in desperate need inside of River Bend of someone who loves God, who knows their Bible, and who can share the good news. And my hope is that this guy, as, as he continues to grow, he, he's been a believer a long time, and he's come back to the Lord since going back into the prison. And my hope is, is that he'll become light in that dark place. And let me tell you, it's, not gonna, it's gonna be amazing to know how many people he leads to Jesus Christ. And if I can have just a little bit of influence by walking alongside of him, that's what makes the difference. And that's what all of us need to do. And so, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And don't worry, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And so as we begin thinking about these stages of spiritual growth, what do we do when it comes to those who are spiritually dead? As we go this week, number one, set aside time to seek a lost brother or sister. Can I ask you a real simple question? Are you working with someone? Are you working with someone? Someone who, who, who you know from listening to them and talking to them, you know they're not a Christian. Are you building a relationship with them? Brothers and sisters, listen to me. It's not going to be done from the pulpit. It's not going to be done through the internet. It's not going to be done through Bible correspondence courses. I mean, all of those have their place. It's going to be done when we as the people of God begin to build relationships with people who need to know Jesus and tell them about Jesus and show them about Jesus and lead them to Jesus. It begins with relationships. And so can I challenge you to get out of your comfort zone and to make friends with people who don't know Jesus? Number two, pray that God will lead you to that person. I mean, one of the things you find in in the epistles of Paul is Paul's constantly saying to those he wrote the letter to, pray for me that God will open doors. Pray for me that God will open doors. Pray for me that God will open doors and then be that friend. Wayne Kilpatrick, many, many years ago, took the story of the prodigal kind of like I did this morning, and he told it, but he told it in a different way. I don't know, Brian, if you ever heard him tell the story of the prodigal son, but but he tells it this way. He tells it from the eyes of the older brother, but he changes the story. He said, I think Jesus would have loved to have told the story this way. Of course, the prodigal packs up, the prodigal leaves after getting his inheritance, and Wayne Kilpatrick would tell how that the older brother came to his dad and said, Dad... I know you're grieving my brother. 
I know you're torn up because he's gone. I'm going to go and find him. And the dad says, no, 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 I don't need to lose two sons. And he says, no, dad, I love him too. And so let me go and find him. And then he tells the story of the older brother as he goes out into the foreign country and he searches far and wide and finally comes to a pig pen and there barely recognizes his younger brother. But what does he do? He grabs him and he hugs him and he puts his arm around him and he says to him, it's time to go home. And he helps his brother back home to have the father to receive them and to have a true party of celebration because of the son that was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. We need to be that friend who brings people to Jesus who are dead in their sins and trespasses. Why? Because that once was all of us. If today you need to obey the gospel... We have elders who will be in the back lobby, in the front lobby. They'll have elders on the lapel. If you'd like to become a Christian, grab one of them and say, hey, I'd like to be baptized. I'll, I'll be down front. I'll be happy to do it if you'd like to come and tell me. If you have prayer requests, go to these elders, and they'll be happy to pray with and for you. If you have any need, let us know how we can help right now as we stand and sing.